Revelation chapter 13 is where we are today. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn there. We're walking through the book of Revelation. I think this is our 13th week, and now we're in the 13th chapter. And I want to say this, you know, leadership is important, and leadership is most needed in times of crisis. Leadership is most needed in times of, of, of great chaos. And I think you're aware right now that our world is desperate for leadership. Our world is desperately looking for the kind of leadership that can guide us and direct us and help us out of some of the situations that we find ourselves in. But listen, we need to know this. This current time of chaos, this current time of crisis is nothing like the time of crisis and chaos that the world will soon know in a period of time known as the tribulation. We've been looking at this period of time called the tribulation now from the book of Revelation. That's what chapter 4 through chapter 19 in the book of Revelation is describing for us. And, and we need to know this. Satan is preparing even now in that moment to fill that leadership vacuum with a leader of his choosing that he will enable and empower to step to the front of the global stage and emerge as the leader for the world, to be the solution, or you might even say the savior for the world, the problems that the world cannot seemingly overcome. The Bible calls that character the Antichrist. The word anti can really mean a couple of things. It can mean, first of all, against, so against Christ. Or anti can also mean to take the place of, or to take the place of Christ in this instance. I think when we're talking about the Antichrist, both definitions apply. Because the Antichrist is both against Christ and at the same time striving to take the place of Christ. Now I want to tell you four things today about who the Antichrist is. And I know that's what you've been waiting for, you're interested to know this. Is he, is he Russian, Chinese, North Korean? Is he American? Is he political? Is he Hollywood? Is he Republican? Is he Democrat? Or is he a she? Or what is it? Who is going to be the Antichrist? I don't know that I can answer probably a lot of those questions, but I'm going to share with you what God's Word says. And this is not everything about the Antichrist. We may spend a little more time next week as well. But let me say this. First of all, the Antichrist is a reflection of of Satan. He will be a reflection of Satan in human flesh. Now before I show you this, it would help if we look back to the chapter before this one, chapter 12, where we were last week. If you were here last week, you may remember we were talking about this cosmic conflict that's been going on between God and Satan. Last week we saw that John had this vision where he sees a great red dragon that we know that great red dragon to be a depiction of Satan himself. Chapter 12, verse 3 says, Another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems, or seven crowns. Okay, so we get this description of Satan, right? Seven heads, ten horns, seven crowns. And we read last week, Satan gets cast down to the earth after that battle in the heavenlies with Michael and his angels. He chases Israel into the wilderness, but God's protecting and preserving Israel. So then Satan turns his attention toward those believers who have put their faith in Christ. 
during the tribulation. And we ended at verse 17 last week. Then the dragon became furious with the woman. He went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. And there's not really a break now between chapter 12 and chapter 13. This vision that John is having just rolls right in to chapter 13. It rolls right into it with the dragon, Satan, standing on the shore of the sea, standing there with seven heads, ten horns, and seven crowns. Now just go right into 13.1. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns seven heads and ten diadems or crowns on its horns and blasphemous names on its head. So here's Satan, the dragon, furiously standing on the sand of the the sea. And then out of the sea rises up another beast. And this beast looks very much like the dragon on the shore. In other words, the beast looks very much like this depiction of Satan has the same number of heads has the same number of horns. The only slight difference is the number of crowns. Satan has ten, and this beast has seven. And this beast will come to know is the Antichrist. And the first thing that I want you to know about this Antichrist is that he is going to be a reflection of Satan in human flesh. I think the beast is best described as both a person and a, a world empire. You really can't separate the person From the empire that he is going to have control over. The Roman emperor, you could not have separated him from the Roman empire. So the Antichrist and this emerging world superpower is seen here coming up out of the sea. And if you were standing there with John watching this vision unfold, you would see the similarity between the appearance of the one coming out of the sea and the one standing on the shore of the sea. You might even think to yourself, these two characters must be related. They're so similar. In fact, you might even think, I I bet they're family. And that's probably not a, a bad way to think of it in that way. It's almost as if the beast coming up out of the water is a son of Satan. He is a reflection of Satan in human flesh. Do you see what I think Satan's probably trying to imitate here? And by the way, this is what Satan loves to do. It seems that he's trying to imitate the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. I can almost just imagine as the beast rises up out of the water that Satan might even be inclined to say, This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Now, not only is the Antichrist a reflection of Satan in human flesh, but secondly, he's a representation of the kingdoms of the earth. He's a representation of the kingdoms of the earth and all of their power and all of their might. To understand all this, we would have to spend quite a bit of time bouncing back and forth between Revelation and the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel is the Old Testament companion book to the book of Revelation. That's a great study, and I hope you'll do that sometime, but we're not going to dive all into that today. But I just want to get you to the bottom line here. What we're seeing here is that, that Satan is desiring to rule this entire world and to be worshipped as God. That's what he's after. That's what he's always been after. That's what he was after in heaven when he got cast down out of heaven. He wanted to be God. He wanted to be glorified as God. He wanted to be worshipped. You may remember that he even offered Jesus all the kingdoms of the earth, Right? I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth, Satan said to Jesus, if you'll bow down and worship me. But Jesus did not. He refused to do that. But the Antichrist will take that. 
he will bow down to him, and he will be given the nations of the earth. So when you see these seven heads and ten horns and ten crowns on this beast, they are symbolic of the strength and the power and the scope of all the nations of the earth from the past into the present, culminating in this one future empire that will be governed by this beast known as the Antichrist. This imagery of governing the whole world, this imagery of a world empire continues in verse 2. Verse 2 says, And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's. And you say, what in the world is that about? Well, Daniel chapter 7 uses the very same three animals to describe three world empires. Daniel uses those same three animals to describe the uh, Assyrian Empire, or, or excuse me, the Babylonian Empire, the Persian Empire, and the Greek Empire. There's a fourth beast that Daniel sees in chapter 7 that he's not able to describe. It's a great beast, and most biblical scholars believe that fourth one was a future kingdom that would rise up called the Roman Empire. But when we get to Revelation chapter 13, only three of those animals are named, taking us back to the Babylonians and the Persians and the Greeks. The reason that fourth one is not named here is because the Antichrist is that fourth beast. He is that fourth one I think that Daniel could not readily identify. Maybe better I should say he is the resurrection of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was to the world the the greatest empire, the largest, the most powerful empire that human history has ever known until this last empire rises up, until it's under the control of this Antichrist. It will be much larger and much more powerful than the original. The Antichrist will rule the whole world. Now you say, how in the world is that possible? How is it possible in such a short amount of time, almost seemingly overnight, the whole world could change so fast? And that answer, six months ago, I'd said that statement, nobody would have chuckled. But everybody's like, huh, yeah, now we know, right? Because this is our world. We're living in this kind of world right now where we are watching literally the world change overnight. Sometimes it feels like every night the world's changing overnight. This is the world that you and I find ourselves living in. I remember back in March, the night the world changed. In my mind, the world changed the night, Sam, when the NBA said our season's over. And when they made that announcement, overnight. Everything shut down. Everything stopped. So it's not unrealistic to imagine that world events could set themselves up in a way so quickly that suddenly a global leader could emerge onto the world stage. Global leaders and dictators gain control by offering solutions to unsolvable problems. The world faces obstacles and challenges and frustrations and can't seem to overcome those challenges. And the bigger the problems, the bigger they are, it seems like the faster a Savior can rise up to promise solutions and answers to those problems. 
I would say this to us today, and this is not a word from the Lord necessarily, but just my own observation and understanding of God's word. I think that we need to get prepared to see many more global, unsolvable problems. Here's why. We are already wearing out. We are already weary of all of these unsolvable problems that are in our world today. And there's a list of them, right? All kinds of problems that nobody seems really to be able to get a handle on. I would anticipate there's going to be more and more seemingly unsolvable, unovercomable global problems wearing us down. Because the more, the, even right now, I read this morning in eastern Russia, they're protesting. Thousands of people. Humanity is becoming more and more weary because of these issues and these problems. More of these problems are going to come. We're going to become more and more weary and the world will become more and more ready to willingly and joyfully embrace a Savior. One who promises solutions to overcome these problems. Can you see that? Can we just see that in our generation, the global stage is being set for the emergence of this person? The world is ripening quickly for the emergence of this great final leader of this created world. He will be a reflection of Satan in human flesh. He will be a representation of the kingdoms of the earth. Number three, he's going to be a recipient, a recipient of Satan's power and position and prominence. The end of verse two says, and to it, that is to the beast, the dragon or Satan gave his power and his throne and great authority. No human no human force is going to be able to stand against him and his power and his authority. He will have the, the power and the authority of Satan himself, and he will control humanity. Not only that, but number four, the Antichrist is going to be a revered world leader. People are going to be in awe of him, and they're gladly going to unite and follow him. Verse 3 tells us part of the reason why. One of its heads, one of the seven heads, seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they had followed the beast. Now these seven heads of the beast are thought to represent the seven successive world empires. The Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, the Roman Empire... And then the seventh head represents the final kingdom of the Antichrist. Now, when a seventh of these heads is mortally wounded and seemingly resurrected, some speculate that that simply represents that the Roman Empire disappeared, imploded, wasn't conquered. The Roman Empire took a path that our country's probably taken. It collapsed on itself. It imploded. Nobody overcame it. Some speculate that this seventh head is the Roman Empire that's resurrected now under the leadership of the Antichrist. Some people say, no, the Antichrist is literally assassinated and Satan raises him from the dead and the people stand in awe and they follow him. 
Other people say, no, Satan's never given the power to raise the dead. But what he does is he fakes the death of this Antichrist and fakes his resurrection. And the end result is the same. The people marvel at that and they follow after him. I don't know which of those may be the one that actually happens. But what I do know is the world gets behind this leader. They revere him. They're in awe of him. And they follow him with reckless abandon. So, he's a reflection of Satan in human flesh, a representation of the kingdoms of the earth. He's a recipient of Satan's power, prominence, and position. He's a, reveal, a revered world leader. Now, let's talk about what he's going to do. The first thing he's going to do is he's going to deify Satan. The Antichrist is going to deify Satan. What that means is he's going to cause the world to worship Satan. He's going to point the whole world to worship Satan. Verse 4 says, they worship the dragon. That's Satan. Because he had given his authority to the beast. And they worship the beast, saying, who is like the beast and who can fight against it? They steal a phrase from our worship of God. Over and over in the Old Testament, the people of God say, who is like our God? And as they're worshiping Satan and worshiping the beast, they'll say, who is like our God? The Antichrist is going to set himself up in the temple. We've talked about this. Daniel calls it the abomination of desolation. He's going to call the whole world to worship him. And as the world worships the Antichrist, what they're essentially doing is they're worshiping the power and the person behind the Antichrist, which is Satan himself. This is what Satan has always wanted. He's always wanted the worship of people. He's always wanted to be like God. The second thing the Antichrist is going to do, he's going to denounce God's name and God's dwelling and God's people. He's going to denounce all of that. Verse 5 says, And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words. And it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. That's three and a half years. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling. That is those who dwell in heaven. In other words, this beast talks just like the dragon. He sounds just like Satan. He's a chip off the old block, you might say. God will be the verbal target of all of the ire of the Antichrist and Satan. He will pour out blasphemies and insults, and they will not be subtle. They will not be veiled. They will not be edited. The Antichrist is going to blaspheme God's name. The Antichrist is going to blaspheme the people of God. And he's going to blaspheme God's heaven, God's place. Everything that has anything to do with God and His glory, the beast is going to blaspheme, tear it down, speak vile against it. Under the power of Satan, the roaring lion who is roaming to and fro seeking to devour, the Antichrist is going to roar out blasphemy after blasphemy. But after those three and a half years, God's going to grab him up by the throat and he's going to put an end to that blasphemous talk. Verse 5 says, The beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed. It was allowed. God's allowing this. God's permitting this. This is not happening because God is not in control. God is very much in control. He is allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. What the beast is going to do, his power, his rule in this world has an expiration date on it. God's already put it on the calendar. It will end when God says it's going to end. Not a minute later. Satan then, as is now is the case, cannot do anything apart from the permission of God. 
So he comes to deify Satan. He comes to denounce God's name, God's dwelling, and God's people. Third, the Antichrist comes to destroy Christians. He comes to destroy Christians. He's going to back up all this blasphemous talk with violent action. Verse 7 says, Also it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. You remember when he went after Israel in the wilderness, he couldn't get them. He turns around, he's looking for the saints of God all throughout the earth. Verse 7 says that he makes war on them. He can't destroy their soul. He can't destroy their witness. They will not bow their knee to him, so he conquers their lives. He destroys them. He kills them. And because they will follow Christ and none other, the Bible says, we saw this, I think, last week, they love their lives, and they love not their lives unto death. In other words, they would rather die than bow their knee to any other who claims to be God. The only way the Antichrist can conquer the people of God is to take their physical life. But I remind you, for the saints of God, Old Testament, New Testament, tribulation period, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. These people are going to face this decision, do we worship the beast or do we die? And by the way, this may not be overt, overtly bow the knee to Satan, worship Satan. It may be subtle. Hey, listen, the world has provided an answer. The world has provided a a leader for us, and we need to get behind him. We need to, to support him. We're all in this together. Get on the bus. Come on, everybody. This is our opportunity. But but it'll go against the principles of God's word. It'll go against the character of God's word. Do you see how it it could be? It may not be. You gotta worship Satan. It could just be follow this leader. Commit yourself to him and to his ways. Don't trust in your God, but trust in this world leader with all your heart. And don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he's going to lead us out of this. Verse 8 says, And all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. Every name that was not written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world, the people who bear those names, they'll bend the knee to this leader. They'll give him their life. They'll worship him. They'll follow him. But every name that was written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world, think about that, Leo. Before there was a world, God had already written Leon Galadoro's name in the Lamb's book of life chosen, knew before time began that you would be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. No name that was written down in that Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world is going to bow the knee to this beast or to the dragon who stands behind him. And when they don't, they'll lose their life because of Christ. They'll likely be perceived by the world as troublemakers, as resistors. They'll likely be perceived by the world as people who are rebelling against this great leader who's going to guide and lead our world to the best days that our world has ever seen. And so if you don't get on board and you don't follow us, right now we're living in a cancel culture. You get canceled right now if you don't get on board. 
But one day this cancel culture, and this may be sooner than you think, this cancel culture is going to morph into a kill them culture. You're standing in the way of the world being saved. You're a threat and you must be removed. Many Christians in the middle of that are going to remain faithful and they will give up their lives. We've already read about them six weeks ago in Revelation chapter 7, but let me, let me remind you of them again. Revelation 7, 9 says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, And crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God saying, Amen. Blessing and honor, glory, wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? And I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God, and they serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. Verse 16, you get an idea of just how difficult their lives had been under the rule of this Antichrist. They'll hunger no more. Neither thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and He will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is what the Antichrist is going to seek to do. Deify Satan. Denounce the name, the dwelling, the people of God. Destroy Christians and forth. Dominate the world. He'll seek to dominate the entire world. Verse 7 says it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. Do you see it? While God is gathering for himself around his throne people from every tongue and tribe and nation. At the very same time, Satan and the Antichrist are gathering for themselves around their throne people from every tongue and tribe. And nation. My question to you this morning is which throne are you going to be around? Which throne will you stand before in worship? Are you willing to lose everything, even your life, to worship the one true God? Most of us sit here and say, oh, yeah, yes, I would. I hope you would, but I know this about me. I know that your pastor this week, multiple times, bowed the knee to Antichrist. Not the Antichrist, but small a with an S on the end. I told you at the beginning, anti can mean in the place of. Many times this week, I bowed the knee to things that I put in the place of Christ in my life. His is first place. 
But there were times in this week that I put things before Jesus. And I bet everybody in this room, at varying points throughout your week this week, you bowed your knee to Antichrist. You elevated something to the place in your life that only Jesus is worthy of. See, this is the old conversation we've had at Grace Life for a long time. That God puts something good in your hands. And then you grab on to that good thing and you make it your everything. You cherish it so much. You value it so much. You come to find your hope in it. You find your security in it. You find your identity in it. And you might not say it out loud, but in that quiet, dark place in your heart, the thought is, God, I'll do anything for you, but just don't touch this. Because i got to have this. I just won't be me without this. I just won't have peace without this. I just won't have joy without this, God. So you got all of me. Just don't, just don't take this. Now we've turned a good thing into a God thing. Now this is anti-Christ. It's something that has taken the place of Christ. We're bending the knee to this. This is the thing that we're worshiping now. This is called idolatry. This now gets the best of us while God just simply gets what's left of us. And it promises all these things, but it doesn't deliver. It doesn't provide that joy. It doesn't give life. It just drains it. Instead, we live with fear and anxiety that what if this is gone? What if this is taken away? What if I lose this? Income is a good gift, but it's a lousy God. Hobbies are a good gift, but a lousy God. Even family, what a good gift from the Lord that is, but even family is a lousy God. There's coming a day when those who follow Christ will lose their lives because of it. In fact, that day's already here. And it's been here for a long time. We have brothers and sisters around the world today. Some will lose their lives today because of their love for Jesus. Highly unlikely that any of us in this room today are going to be put into a position that somebody says, you follow Jesus and you die. It's probably not going to happen today. But it's also highly likely today that we're already bending the knee to Antichrist. My prayer is that today, Holy Spirit, you would come and you would pry open our hearts and you would pry open our hands and that we would have no other God before us today, that Jesus would be our King, our Lord, that he would sit in the seat that he alone deserves over our lives, that he would be on his throne over us today. We've taken the bait. We've allowed Satan to whisper into our ear, just like he did with Adam and Eve in the garden, all that good gift that you had given them. And we fall into the same trap of making good things our God. Believing that that's where hope is found. That's where joy is found. That's where life is found. But that is not. It's where death is found. Joy dies there, and peace dies there. Fear and anxiety rises up. 
when we worship another God. But God, you're our hope and our peace, our rock, our shield, our fortress, our defender. We confess to you today how often our hearts are prone to wonder how often we stray and the spirit of Antichrist becomes the dominant spirit in our minds and in our hearts. Holy Spirit, would you push that spirit out today? Holy Spirit, would you escort the precious Son of God back to his throne in our hearts now? In fact, he's never left. Help us to see that he's king. Unmovable. Unshakable. Give us grace today, God, to worship you and you alone. I want to invite you to stand and let's worship the Lord. Would you call on his Holy Spirit to work in your life in such a way today that your heart and your hands would be open, that there be no other God before the one true God in your life.